0: Good morning, family. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. All right. So um, we're going to continue on our journey of Philippians chapter 2. What an amazing letter. And uh, really excited uh, to see as God works these truths out in our lives, how we we start walking in all these things that God has been teaching us. So um, we're going to pray. We're going to get in uh i hope you listened a little bit on the kid's corner because that's what today is all about obedience so father i want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and goodness thank you lord for your word thank you that you are the god of the universe and you have not only um not only do you will and work in us for your good pleasure uh, but you cause us persevere us to do the same and Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Help us to walk in obedience, to understand the importance of obedience and the examples that you have given of uh, these two particular obedient men um, that, God, that, uh, that Paul uses uh, to really help us to see the importance of living rightly. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in order for, un- in order for us to have an understanding of what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2, Of verse 12 through 30. I'm going to move up to verse 5 and reread this because this is the concept. This is what Paul is trying to put here. I've said this over and over again. If you can get rid of the subtitles and just read God's word without the subtitle, just read it, or listen to it, just let it go, you'll get a grasp of what he's trying to say. I think subtitles, though, it helps us to grab a thought. really do an injustice to helping, to helping us to understand the context. Subtitles are not inspired. They're just, they're just there to help you. So um, verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. I want you to grasp that. Even death on the cross... Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation, With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I want you to, did you kind of grasp what Paul is doing in the continuance of of that reading? The context of what he's calling you to. In the same way that Christ became obedient to the point of death, have you ever really thought about how obedient? Are you? Have, have you obeyed God's word to the point that you die? In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. Did you get that? The whole point of obedience is have you have you really become obedient to the point of death? even death on the cross, as Christ did. I don't think we, any of us have gotten to that point. You know why? Because obedience is uncomfortable. Obedience is uncomfortable. Principle number one. If you love Christ, you will obey him. Jesus says that. If you love me, you will obey me. The measurement of true love in Christ is unwavering obedience obedience even when it's highly difficult. There's nothing more difficult than the willingness to die because of obedience. I want you to get that. Jesus died willingly. I lay down my own life. No one takes it from me to be obedient to the father because that was the father's plan. It's an example. Obedience means everything. Okay. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 12 and 13, therefore, in other words, all the things I just read to you, right? Verse 5 through 11, Paul says, therefore, understanding all that I just explained to you, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, you should continue to obey. You know, he doesn't tell them that they need to obey. He's, he's, he's reminding them, you've always obeyed. I mean, what an amazing church. You know, when I read the, the letter to the Philippians, I go, man, that's an amazing church, right? Don't just be a good Berean by studying the word. Be a good Philippian by living it. The Philippians live it. But then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is not the term where the people, I'm sure in the past, it says, see, in order for you to stay saved, you got to work it out. You got to work out your own salvation to, to maintain your salvation. That's not what this means. Work out your salvation to get saved. That's not what this means. Working out your salvation has nothing to do with the, with the reality of your position before God. Working out your own salvation is the reality of who you are already in Christ. Right? It's, it's this idea that I need to practice it. I need to literally live it out live out your salvation with fear and trembling why this fear is with reverence and honor and and glory i should be i should be absolutely thrilled to obey god being obedient to god is not a burden it's your freedom good choice on the song it's your freedom Your freedom is found when you're in obedience. Why? Because I have aligned my life with God. That's why he says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You will desire and you will serve for his good pleasure if you're truly born again you're going to live your life out in that way with fear and trembling with, glo- with joy and the glory of God and there will nothing nothing will stop you from that you will accomplish and do all that God has already set in plan for you he is sovereign to the detail second principle Be a faithful witness in word and deed. See, a person who loves and obeys God will be faithful in word and deed. You are not just a witness of Christ through sharing the word of Christ, but also a witness in how you live. The picture you leave them, the world, to see speaks volumes of the faith that you claim you have. You can't say, I love Jesus, and just go out and live any way you want. I have to question your sincerity. And this is what he challenges, and he exhorts the church in Philippi. He says, listen, there's, there's more at stake here besides your faithful witness of the gospel and your commitment to obedience. Remember, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It's the number one issue Christians have. What do we do? I do it all the time. It's so bad. I can't watch the news. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. But we do. Why? Because it's easy. What kind of witness does that leave? Verse 15. So if we're doing all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. You ever notice that when you grumble and complain, what does the world say about you? You're a hypocrite. You have, nothing else to, you have nothing else to be happy about besides you just want to grumble and complain about life is terrible. But when you're not grumbling and you're not complaining, you are blameless and innocent. There's nothing, as children of God, There's nothing that will bring, that anyone could bring an accusation against. You're above reproach. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In other words, it should not shock you that sinful people sin. But what we've done in churches today is we we have expected that the sinner should come into the presence of church and live as if they're believers. And what do you have? Church is full of unseer believers, lost people, no commitment to obedience, no commitment to honor and to love God, no commitment to to walk in, in the things of God. There's none of that is there. What do they do? They grumble and they dispute and they're not blameless or innocent because they're not children of God. And so we as children of God must be above reproach, must be blemish, must be without blemish in the midst of a very crooked and twisted world we live in. That's the difference. How how can they tell the difference? And then then he says this, among whom when you don't grumble, complain, when you are blameless and innocent, when you are children without blemish, You shine as lights in the world. And people who shine as lights in the world, people who aren't grumbling, complaining, people who are blameless and innocent, and the children of God without blemish hold fast to the very thing that keeps them, perseveres them, called holding fast to the word of life. The word of God is the key. So that... In the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, please, can you not do all this? And can you make sure that you're doing this? Because when you're holding fast to the word of life, all right, something that's very important is that I don't want to, when Christ comes, see the investment and time and work that I put into you go to waste. Don't, I don't want to run in vain or labor in vain. Don't, in other words, don't waste my time is what he's basically saying. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. Why does he say that? After he says, I don't want to run in vain. I'm I'm happy you're holding fast to these things. Make sure you maintain that. That the the sacrifice that I'm putting in for you, I am glad and I rejoice with you. The fact that we can be persecuted for the gospel and persecuted for for our faith, that we're not only speaking the gospel, but we're living it out. And I want you also, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me because we are co-laborers suffering together. Are you joyful with the family when we're going through trouble, trials and troubles and struggles you should be it tells you about the genuineness of your faith and then paul gives you two very important examples here if there's anyone if there, if there are two men that paul clarifies about the about the reality of this life that the that the philippians are so faithfully doing paul gives two more examples and this is what he says. I want you to principle number three. Faithful men will be faithful in word and deed. This is for you men. This is, though this principle is for everybody. Everyone should be faithful in word and deed. This is specifically for the men. Because it's your responsibility to lead. It's not the women's responsibility to lead. It's yours. It's ours. And we will do so here. And we are doing so. But I'm going to exhort you and challenge you. Think about this. Faithful men will be faithful in word and deed. What you do faithfully today, gentlemen, will build confidence in what you do tomorrow. Therefore, there is no substitute for faithfulness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. I want you to get that. Out of everybody that Paul chooses to send to the Philippian church, he sends Timothy, his son in the Lord. Why? Because there, this guy, and I, don't want, I want to say this to the young men, okay? This is to chase and to Owen and to all the young men. You want to be an example? You want to have an example of a godly man? Timothy. What a phenomenal young man. And to be honest with you, if anyone had daughters, this would be the guy I'd be like, yeah, (laughs) I want that to be my son-in-law. I want this gentleman. What a, what a dude. Now look at what he says. Okay. Because I know that when Timothy comes to you, he's going to bring me news that the work and the labor that I have put in you has not gone in vain. I'm going to be able to be cheerful about the work that's been accomplished. And this is what he says, verse 20. For I have no one like him. Out of all the men Paul has, one is the man that I think is worthy of this responsibility Timothy, I have no one like him who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You notice Timothy's heart. Timothy's not there because Paul sent him. Timothy's not there because he wants to make Paul happy. Timothy's there because he genuinely has a concern for the people of Philippi. He loves God's people. Faithful, Faithful men love God's people. You need to love God's people who live in your house and you need to love God's people who live in this, who, who, who meet and gather at this house. You love God's people. Okay. Look what he says in verse 21, for they, all the other, all the other quote unquote men, all they, all for they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Second thing, Timothy seeks Genuine concern and welfare for the Philippians because he is interested in what Christ wants. Period. A heart fully devoted to being obedient to God. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. In other words, Timothy has been tested. Now you know why Timothy was given the responsibility to be the pastor of the Ephesian church. He has proven himself. You got you to gotta prove this out. Pastors aren't pastors because they say they're pastors. There are churches full of pastors that aren't pastors. They need to prove themselves out. How do they prove it out? They prove it out by knowing and teaching the full counsel of God's word. Not telling you what makes you happy, but being honest with you, with the truth. And being sound in doctrine. Read First and Second Timothy. You have a clear understanding. Paul's exhortation to Timothy. Then he says, how as a son with a, with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Notice Timothy's heart. Gospel. Nothing else matters but gospel. That's your number one responsibility is the gospel. God has not given you anything else but gospel. And over and over and over again from, from chapter one into chapter two, that's what you're hearing. Gospel, gospel, gospel. Do it. Do gospel. And he says this. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I'm going to make sure once everything gets settled here, I'm sending Timothy to you for you. Because he genuinely loves you, genuinely cares for you. He's seeking, he's seeking the interest of Christ. And he has been a well-proven young man in the Lord. Why? Because he has served with me for the sake of the gospel. Faithful men will be faithful in word and deed. You have two opportunities every month, gentlemen, to grow in word so that you can live in deed. In discipleship with other men. Second and fourth uh, Saturday of every month, eight o'clock in the morning. No reason why you can't be here. If you can't give God four hours of time to get together with men, to work out your salvation, to learn of him, In that little bit of time. Every month. That doesn't mean there's not going to be times when it's going to be busy. I get it. But if you have a free time. And there's nothing going on that day. Make it your ambition. To be there for a couple hours. To hang out with guys. So we could talk together. About Christ and his word. Man to man. Learn biblical manhood. Okay. That's my challenge to you as men. uh, Men because. Everyone is watching you. Next principle. You are what God says you are. (laughs) Let's go. And you do what God has for you to do. Romans chapter 9 verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another of dishonorable use? God has determined who you are, whose you are, what you are, and what you will do. It's his determination. The reason why I use that Bible verse is because you see this very clear example of a vessel of honorable use named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, what a gentleman. What a man committed. Now I want you to hear this list, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 through 30. "I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to, me, to my need." Do you hear that list? First thing, Epaphroditus is family. Epaphroditus is a coworker for the sake of the gospel. And Epaphroditus is a soldier of the living God. And he is a messenger that you have sent who was there to minister to my need. You are what God says you are. And you will do what God says you will do. And that's exactly what happens with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent to care for Paul. From, from the Philippian church, and not only did he do that, but he did far more. Look what it says in verse 26, "For he has been longing for you all. In other words, he misses the family. I get excited when we when haven't seen somebody in a while, and I need to walk in, and I'm like,'m I'm like, I'm like, beeline. I just get excited when I don't see you. And I see you, and you're like, there, there he is. There she is. Hey, hey. And give me a hug. I get excited. How can you not get excited? But the, and at the same time, that's the point what Paul's saying here, that Epaphroditus was, he was like, man, I miss him. I miss the family. This is what he says. Because he has been longing for you all, And has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was worried that they were worried. Now, people go, Pastor, don't worry. I can't help it. I'm worried that you're worried, which makes me worry. I know. Don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I get it, but I can't help it. It's a shepherd issue. And that's and that's exactly what Paphroditus is doing. He's like, I'm distressed because you heard of I was they heard they heard that I was ill. I'm like worried about it. I don't want them to worry, everything's okay. And then Paul says this indeed, he was ill. Near to, near to death. He got really sick. He was gonna die. But look at what Paul says. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also. Why? lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God had mercy on him and me so that I didn't have to worry. I didn't have to have sorrow. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to deal with his death and my illness. And God had mercy on us. When our our sick brothers and sisters here, or aren't here, reach out to them, touch them, contact them, make a text message if you have to. Sometimes it's hard, I get it. But you know what you know what's special about what we do here at Mount Eaton is our deacons have deacon areas now. They deak, which is exciting. And their responsibility is every month to make contact with each family that 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 they have been given. Now the good news, some of you guys have like families of nine. That's it's pretty it's pretty easy phone call, right? <laughs> But how about all the singles that we have? And so their job is to literally make a phone call or if they see them at church, say, hey, how are you doing? Making sure that they get in contact. We should be, all of us should be eager to do the same thing as best as we possibly can. And this is what Paul says in verse 28. I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, why? That you may rejoice at seeing him again. What would happen when, I'll say it this way. I know when John was sick and, and he, I, see, I saw him today, he's in church. He's, he's alive. Should you not be excited? Because one day I won't see him again. And one day I'm not going to see you. And one day you're not going to see me. And what are you going to do when family goes home? And you don't see them anymore. And that's why he says, I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again. And every opportunity you get to see them, you love the heck out of them. Even when We get on each other's nerves because we're family. And this is what he says. And that I may be less anxious. My anxiety went away when I when I saw John. He has mask on, but I was like, whoo. You know? Even when I see families and they go away and you go on vacation and I see them come back from vacation, I'm like excited. Hey, whoo, they're good. You should do the same. And this is what he says in verse 29. I know we're all getting teary eyed now. I'm sorry. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Be, Be joyful and honor such a man. Let me say this. There's only one of you. And when God gives you godly men that lead you and that love on you, men love it. Honor them. Find joy even even among the women who are leaders among the women. Find joy God has given you godly women and godly men to lead you and to teach you and disciple you and to mentor you. Man, enjoy it. Verse 30 This is why, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In other words, he gave. Every ounce of what he had to the point that point of death, even when, I can imagine a baphroditus, he is probably really fevered out and sick as a dog, right? He is still serving and caring for Paul. He is giving it all. And that's why there aren't many men like that. So he gives us these two examples. Let me give you these principles one more time. If you love Christ, you will obey him. The measure of true love in Christ is unwavering obedience. Be faithful. Be a faithful witness in word and in deed. You are not just a witness of Christ through sharing the word of Christ, but you're also a witness in how you live. The picture that you leave the world to to see speaks volumes of the faith you claim to have. Faithful men will be faithful in word and deed. Whatever, what you do faithfully today will build confidence in what you do tomorrow. There is no substitute for faithfulness. You are what God says you are and you will do what God has for you to do. Therefore, be faithful men. Commit your ways to him and he will honor you. It's God's will for you. Father, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and goodness. We thank you for this wonderful letter. We thank you for the examples you have given us about what it means to be a godly man and to live a life of obedience to the point of death and to give our all and to to be what you have called us to be and to do what you have called us to do, and that is gospel. Thank you that we're part of the family. Thank you that we are co-workers in this wonderful journey and mission that you have given us. And thank you that we can contend for the faith as faithful soldiers, being a faithful witness, and serving the family. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.